Welcome to Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast, a podcast intended not just for parents or caregivers, but individuals seeking guidance around challenging behaviors or recurring and negative patterns in your life. Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast aims to have you asking, who am I parenting here, my child or myself? This podcast has a vision of you, the adult, stumbling upon a new relationship with the child you once were. Parenting is no easy task, but it doesn't have to be a burden. We are happy you are here. Julie and welcome back to episode 14 of Hashtag Parenting Who podcast. Today I am uh, speaking with Rick Kelly and Rick and I are finishing up our four-part series entitled Parenting the Restorative Way. And today's podcast uh, episode title is It Takes a Whole Village, How to Engage with Professionals and Others. And so as we wrap up this series, I just want to encourage people to... um, If for some reason you're listening to this episode and you haven't listened to the previous three episodes, uh, please go back and listen. It starts at episode 11 on hashtag parenting who podcast. And we I have a really great uh, bio there for Rick. And so you'll get to know him and what his uh, experience is and what his training is, and also the lens in which he practices, which is very much restorative based. And so for some of you, that might be a new concept. And so um, I haven't done or reintroduced Rick throughout the um, the additional episodes. So I just like to encourage people to go back and listen uh, to episode one. And today, uh, Rick and I talk a lot about how parents uh, engaging with professionals involved with their children, how this can be challenging and how um, it really is a partnership that parents can't do it alone, but also uh, respecting and realizing that there is unintentional most times positions that certain or specific organizations, agencies, institutions come from in terms of their conversation and predominant conversations that sometimes parents, I might even say oftentimes, not just sometimes parents feel uh, more isolated or that they feel that their um, conversation at the table is not valued or that they're not being heard or shut out. And so then we talk a little bit about how this creates some frustration and then potentially leads to people behaving badly. And, you know, maybe the reactions and behaviors are really diverting from the real issue that needs to be discussed or talked about, which you know, Rick and I are both on board for parents really are the expert in their child's life. And so we wanted to in this podcast be able to talk about how that, uh, that input can be overall good for a child development, but there's a process that maybe people need to know about how to, you know, stand up and advocate in a way that is uh, purposeful. And I like Rick at one point says, uh, 
you know, oftentimes professionals see themselves as experts, and he acknowledges, you know, they have expertise, but also that there is this whole other side that parents have the expertise to and that parents know what make the kids tick. And so um, professionals won't know that stuff. And so how do you blend what parents know together with what professionals are there to help you with and having that relational engagement and expressing for parents to be able to express their voice, um, identify their needs. And um, at the end of the day, kids need an advocate and uh, parents are their best advocates. And that's kind of it. We go on to talk about some personal examples and some situations in our own lives, which I think always adds depth to the conversation. And um, yeah, so I think I'll just wrap it up there and uh, thank you all for listening. And like I said, please go back and listen to uh, and please share. I absolutely had so much fun doing this entire series. Uh, So please don't hesitate to share the series uh, Parenting the Restorative Way. Uh, on my website. And also, if you have some comments for me, you can find on julieclarktherapy.com. There's a Parenting Who podcast link. And from there, there is a link on iTunes that will bring you to a comment area. I'd love to hear from you guys. So that's it. We're going to wrap this series up. And uh, Rick and I definitely have plans to put something together for the next season, season two of the podcast. And uh, thanks, everyone. Enjoy. Hey, Rick, good morning. Thanks for coming back to our podcast series, Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast. How are you today? Uh, I'm great. It's nice and sunny. It's going to be warm. Uh, And there's a fair up our way that we get to go to. I love it. A nice county fair. Yeah. Exactly. And hopefully we can see the miniature horses. Oh, I love it. So they have some livestock there and stuff? Yes. True, uh, true yeah. farm country fair. Yeah, those are the best. There's a there's a really big one happening uh, near me next weekend. It's it's pretty popular, and uh, they have Clydesdale horses, and they have tremendous mm. horse shows, and it's it's really really fun. It's a, it's a fun time of year for me. Yes, yeah, we're moving into harvest time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's my favorite season actually. Mm-hmm. For many yeah. people, it is. Yeah. yeah. So today we are wrapping up our four-part series, Parenting the Restorative Way, and so I'll just do a really quick recap of the titles of the previous three episodes. Mm -hmm. And so in episode 11 on my uh, podcast, it was uh, entitled Parenting the Restorative Way, Relationships, Power, and Expectations. And episode 12 was Parenting Without Shame, Restorative and Respectful Discipline. Episode 13, Parenting with Growth in Mind, How to Talk to Kids and Support Resiliency. And today's episode is episode 14. And our title today is It Takes a Whole Village, How to Engage with Professionals and Others. And so take it away, Rick. It's been such a great series, and I'm happy to to have you wrap that up with me today. Great. Um, So the reason I chose this particular uh, focus is because um, it's so important that that parents um, engage with the various professionals that also are involved with um, their own child in that. Um, And that, you know, 
engaging with professionals though, um, as it does take a whole village, can be challenging. Um, so part of it is talking about and building on what we've been um, addressing around restorative approaches, but you know, really centering parents um, as key in the village and that. So that's where I felt it was um, quite important to extend the reach of the restorative approach um, from the point of view of parents and how they engage with others because um, it is essentially a partnership. Mm -hmm. um, parents can't do it alone mm -hmm. uh, and there are oftentimes there's many people uh, involved in their child's life and young person's life um, that they need to partner with. Mm -hmm. I remember when my kids were uh, younger, so maybe, you know, in the grade one, grade two, sort of uh, six, seven, eight, we were at the grocery store and an adult that I did not know, and my child knew the adult, they were like waving and saying hello in the grocery store. And I was really taken yep. aback. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I think it had been a substitute teacher or something. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, we want to we wanna be involved in, in the lives of our children, even when they're not with us. And, uh, you know, especially school, they spend, mm -hmm. spend so much time in the school environment. We want to um, create that, like you said, it's a partnership, but it's also again, with the whole concept of the the restorative practice is that building relationships. Exactly. And, and, you know, I think there's particular ways of uh, building relationships that, that allow for the parents' concerns and voice and needs to be heard, mm -hmm. uh, particularly when there's challenging um, events that happen in their child's life. Um, so it's important that parents, um, and, you know, have, have the skills to kind of negotiate uh, those challenges and that. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of interesting, though, as I sat down to sort of think about it, um, my thoughts kind of um, took a bit of a detour because what I did was I sort of started mapping out all the responsibilities that parents have. Um, so I ended up with the conclusion that in many regards, parents are the whole village, um, mm -hmm. given all the various roles that they have in their life and that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if, if too bad we don't have visuals, um, but I did a sort of like a wheel and spokes, mm -hmm. um, just to imagine um, what, and I'll put myself in as sort of we, mm -hmm. uh, what we as parents um, have to look after. So just broad Broadly. Okay. Um, so parents um, have multiple tasks that, you know, revolve around um, in the home. So that's one spoke in the wheel. Mm -hmm. um, then they have multiple family roles that go beyond their child, uh, beginning with their, um, you know, intimate partner, um, mm -hmm. and then beyond in terms of extended families, um, their role as a, a sibling, as a daughter, as a son, um, with aunts, uncles, grandparents, and on and on and on. Mm -hmm. um, then they've got their relationships outside of the home that have to do with their kids, um, whether they're involved in sports or um, clubs, um, and in particular, school. So mm -hmm. that's just another whole spoke in that. Um, then many parents are also dealing with their own work life um, and maybe school life. So they have that as well. And then the other thing, which I think is also foundational, is just 
how they care for themselves and all the responsibilities um, and needs that revolve around being able to take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I began to sort of think about it, I thought, well, just as a parent, you are your own whole village um, or you're the center of the village. And so the challenge becomes, how do you sort of, you know, um, work across all those different things um, that come your way? Yeah, and then add to that one, two, three, four children, and yes. yeah, yeah, so it's really complicated. Well, and it's interesting because what we know in terms of parents, whether you're a parent or working with parents, is they have to manage um, multiple roles at once. Mm -hmm. And I know working with different organizations, when they've wanted to involve parents and families um, and, you know, hear from them and their opinions, um, sometimes they've hesitated as organizations saying, well, maybe this parent will be in a conflict of interest um, because they have their own child and, you know, so they're focused there. How can they think more broadly? Um, and what I always say to them is I think parents are used to conflict of interest uh, because they're always negotiating, um, you know, the multiple um, tasks and challenges that come their way uh, in many regards, you know, um, parents are, you know, um, you know, sort of layperson lawyers, coaches, nurses, doctors, advocates, um, coaches, you know, on and on and on. Mm -hmm. um, so I think parents are actually quite adept uh, and able to manage all those those roles and that. So I think we tend to understand, um, kind of uh, underestimate the ability of parents. And as a result, we don't really um, hear their voice um, and acknowledge them the way that I think is very important in terms of um, those of us who are on the outside working with their children. Yeah, and I think I definitely know what you're saying. And it's interesting because, of course, you come with a lens of restorative practice, and that's the whole purpose of our series here. Mm -hmm. And so when you say how, like, there's that conversation at the table regarding an organization and that sort of what I feel is a, an abrupt sort of um, downplay of the plant's role, the the uh, parent's role, I don't think it's intentional on the organizational organization's part but it's not the restorative lens and so it halts the process of building relationship right at that really early stage doesn't it right and, and you're right i think a lot of times it's not intentional meaning that they're meaning to diminish the voice of parents and families but it's you know the default position mm -hmm. that many organizations work from they're used to, you know, working within their own kind of professional circle. And that is where they have their predominant conversations. Mm -hmm. And that's also where the power lies as well. Mm -hmm. um, so that when it comes to parent and family voice, that's where it can become an add-on rather than central to the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and then as a result of that, um, I think it ends up being undervalued. And it's not, once again, necessarily intentional, mm -hmm. but the impact is mm -hmm. um, that for parents and families is that they feel um, that they're not being in heard, that they're not being included. Mm -hmm. um, and they're in a, and I think that has kind of a ripple effect too, mm -hmm. because if you feel like you're being sort of shut out, um, that's going to, you know, create frustration. Mm -hmm. And then you may sort of lead with your frustration as a parent, 
rather than with your key message around whatever it happens to be around, you know, your child or young person. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it has a lot of ripple effects. Um, and once again, they're unintended consequences. Yeah, because, um, and you touched on it earlier, but all those various positions that the parent being the village advocate was one of those. And so if a parent, if a parent doesn't recognize that they're in a position of needing to advocate, advocate for, in this case, having a say in a conversation at a table that is important to have their perspective and their input. But if they don't realize that that's a position that they have to be in, then like you say, they lead with, it creates frustration and then they lead with frustration. And then that's the, the opposite of what we're going for in a restorative practice and building relationship. Exactly. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, we have, um, you know, we kind of create the opposite of what we want. Uh, and sometimes, you know, as professionals, um, and then as a result of that, um, we may get reactions and behaviors mm -hmm. that can lead to, you know, parents being labeled um, as sort of the angry, upset parent or the difficult parent. But really what the parent is dealing with is the fact that they, you know, are seeing all sorts of barriers uh, to their involvement. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, with the benefit of, you know, lots of years of experience, I can, you know, I've seen that, you know, when I worked at, you know, a hospital setting. Um, I've seen that extensively in school settings, um, in uh, treatment settings, um, where, you know, parents are not thought of first, um, and then you have this ripple effect. Um, so the question becomes, one, what needs to happen on the part of professionals, but also how can parents also manage those situations so that their voice gets heard. Mm -hmm. Well, and one thing that comes to mind for me is that ability as a therapist, we're trained to, you know, um, what's the word like position ourselves and, and know our biases and our, and, and that, you know, way of communicating in, in a non-judgmental way. And so uh, coming forth in a conversation that is feeling like, you're not being heard or included and creating that frustration. If, if we don't really understand what to do with that sort of sense and how that makes us feel, we can take that personally. And so that then diverts us from the, the, um, the position that we need to come to, which is to refocus and to know that you have a place at the table and to know that your voice does matter and to sort of, um, I don't know if teach or train the, the individuals or organization how it should look, uh, because then there's a whole other piece to that. You know, like you say, they, they have this default position that they come from there, and their predominant conversations come from that. So it can be really difficult to penetrate that. And I myself have experienced it. I had boys in, um, in sports, but I thankfully I had the you know, the education, the training in the background to, and I think that's where I'm coming from when I'm speaking to this right now. Um, mm -hmm. Because it was, uh, you know, I knew not to take things personally, because they didn't really truly understand what I was, what I was offering up, because they didn't know how to, um, 
that wasn't something that they had come across before, you know, someone who could advocate in a professional way and they didn't have the, I guess you could say ammunition Mm -hmm. to call me that, um, you know, overreactive Mm -hmm. parent that was behaving badly because I wasn't, and they didn't know what to do with that. Um, so Mm -hmm. as I'm saying this, I'm realizing like for so many parents, just Mm -hmm. how this, this super tricky dynamic that they can get involved in when all, all they're really trying to do at the end of the day is just be that village for their child. Exactly. Um, and I think, you know, there's a variety of different dimensions to it. Um, so you get the example of, you know, where, you know, you've had situations and you can remember um, how you wanted to have your voice heard in that. And I think, you know, when we look at it through a professional lens in our own profession, um, you know, which also can include social work as well as child and youth work, I think we're more inclined because we think that way in terms of being intentional and thinking of biases and being reflective. Um, I think, you know, other professions um, are starting to grapple with that, um, but haven't yet um, integrated that as how they engage with with uh, parents. And I think of, you know, healthcare providers, mm-hmm. um, physicians in particular, um, and also the educational system that, you know, they're beginning to grapple with, with uh, looking at um, how their own biases can potentially come into play when they're dealing with with others. Um, but I think there's other elements that, you know, also are part of the dynamic. You know, part of it has to do with um, seeing um, professions, professionals seeing themselves as experts. Mm. Um, and I think there's, you know, different ways of looking at that. I think that... Um, you know, I think everybody has something to contribute, mm-hmm. uh, and there is expertise in various areas in that. But also, um, there's incredible expertise on the part of parents, and that would be the the first thing that you know I would want and and always encourage parents to do, which is you know, tell me about um, what you know about your child. Um, you know, what are the things that you know make your kid tick? What are their strengths? What are their abilities? Um, what's their capacity? Uh, and what happens when they're under stress? And the thing is. Um, Professionals won't have that inside uh, view or insight. So in terms of expertise, we need to, and other professionals need to kind of open the door to hear the lived experience of parents because it's actually um, so rich Mm -hmm. Um, that if we have that information, we can, you know, start to blend um, what parents know um, with what, you know, you may know as a professional in another context. Mm -hmm. So you might know their sort of academic ability, um, but you may not really know um, sort of the issues around their own self-esteem and self-concept. And that's where I think parents can really help us, you know, get to know their particular child and that um, and what you know goes on for them because each child as you know is so incredibly unique mm-hmm. um, and will respond in their own particular way mm-hmm. yeah like I think of one example with my oldest boy when he was I think he might have been in grade five or grade six 
Um, and a petition got going in his class that was initiated actually by um, a parent um, to have a kid removed from their classroom. And it started going through the kids, getting them to sign on. Uh, and my son took it. Uh, and he stopped it and he took yeah. it to the office. Yeah. Um, so that was just a unique feature of him. Um, mm -hmm. He had a real strong sense of right and wrong. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and you could see it when he uh, was umpiring, even at the age of 11, um, he had a strong sense of right and wrong. Um, and he knew that, you know, if people crossed the line, and that, that sometimes had to do with parents, as he said, um, he would ask them to leave. Um, so that was unique. Um, you know, people wouldn't know that unless they knew him um, and knew him like we knew him. Um, but that was just sort of, you know, one example. Um, but, you know, without being able to share that, um, people wouldn't know where that was coming from. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, wow, I was kind of cringing when you told me about that. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah, no, the whole oh. example was terrible. And it was just sort of, um, yeah, um, you know, amazing on the other side that yeah. he you know, had that ability to respond to that. But then the, then the other thing, so that's, a, you know, an example where, you know, he could manage his own reality. Mm -hmm. But I think also, um, you know, all of us have had other situations where uh, our child can't manage what's mm. coming their way. Yeah. And that's where we need to um, be an advocate. And that's where I really think that um, the restorative principles can guide mm -hmm. parents in terms of being able to articulate what's important to them. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, just as a quick, you know, reminder, I mean, what we're talking about from that vantage point is, you know, it's about relational engagement. Mm -hmm. um, so we're talking about parents um, being able to engage um, at a relationship le level with other professionals, which I think is really important. Um, it's about them expressing their voice being able to identify what their needs are, being able to just speak to the impacts of uh, other people's behavior. So it, it doesn't mean pointing a finger, um, but it means you know just talking to how things uh, impact on them. Um, one example I think of where I was working in one school, you know, doing workshops around restorative parenting, one mom talked about um, how she'd felt and been, you know, made to feel ashamed of what her child had done, but it was what her child had done. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that wasn't her responsibility, but she said after the conversation, it left her feeling uh, ashamed that mm -hmm. she was being blamed. So it's being able to speak to, you know, conversations, but then start to be able to move the conversations to shared solutions you know what are we all gonna do together mm -hmm. so i think there's you know some of the principles that we've talked about um that you know start to guide um how to engage with with other professionals so that actually the parent is the driver mm -hmm. um but they need other people in the car with them as they sort of drive sort of the parenting car because mm -hmm. they can't do it alone and what we do know is um, oftentimes kids need an advocate and someone in the corner for them. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's no one better who can give voice to that than to parents. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I like what you were saying there about how, um, you know, there is this shift in, you know, like us as child and youth care practitioners and social workers, there's that, uh, that intentional practice and checking in our biases and the ability to reflect and how um, some professionals are viewing themselves as experts and, you know, acknowledging that they do have the expertise, but also realizing and recognizing that the parents have expertise as well. And that, when and I like your words that parents can blend what they know about the child together with the expertise of the professional and together work as a team towards what it is that this child is is needing. Yeah. Um, yeah, as their advocates, and that's where the village concept comes in, doesn't it? Exactly, and you know, just an, an interesting article that I found. Um, by this woman who has multiple roles. So she uh, is a mother of three. Um, she's been a principal. Uh, and now she does um, teacher education at the University of Saskatchewan. So mm -hmm. she's, like all parents, has many hats, mm -hmm. professional and just as a parent. So one of the things that she said is that for educators is that we need to do a better job of talking with parents rather than for them or at them. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, you know, on that side of it is, you know, it's a word to um, the educational system that conversations have to be with rather mm -hmm. than um, for or at them. Um, and I don't know how many experiences that you've had, um, mm -hmm. but I've had them both as a parent, but also um, in working with other parents where having a conversation with another professional um, has been incredibly difficult mm -hmm. because they come at it, you know, as an expert mm -hmm. um, and think that they have all the answers. Thing is, they likely have some answers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it has to be a conversation um, and not, you know, sort of a mini lecture mm -hmm. um, or small workshop because we have to, you know, work at it together. And what, you know, if you just look at it from the facts, children spend more time at home and with their parents than they do anywhere else. Now, obviously, they spend a lot of time at school, um, but the majority of their time is in their family. So unless we um, utilize that as a resource, then we're only being able to see half the picture. Um, and so that needs to be shared. Well, and the thing is, like, in, in my um, work in the hospital, we would see this all the time, how... Uh, the child would be admitted to hospital and, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, sometimes they were in acute crisis in that moment. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, their behavior was visible to the professionals around them, but sometimes it was something that had happened. So it wasn't mm -hmm. that acute crisis in the moment. And yeah. so the parents are sharing or the teachers or whatever are sharing the circumstances. But then when they are admitted on the unit, you know, through observation, because that's part of an inpatient admission. Yeah the professionals are going, but we're not seeing the behavior. And right. oftentimes um, we, just because we're not seeing the behavior in the moment in this atmosphere right now, mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. doesn't mean that it's not happening, but oftentimes I found parents and caregivers, they were wishing that there was an abrupt outburst so that it could prove what they were saying. And I feel like that right there is the disconnect that they're feeling pressure to have what they're saying be proven true without like, why can't just their, their word be enough? And I think that's speaking to that gap where, you know, mm-hmm in situations where professionals aren't observing the outbursts, as an example, um, the parents just don't feel like what the story that they're telling their experience at home is enough. And um, that, I mean, has to be really frustrating because, you know, parents aren't going to that extreme and bringing a child to hospital. um, Right. Well, and as we know that, you know, a person's perception is their reality. Mm-hmm. So, you know, without sort of arguing about sort of what the truth is and an argument over, you know, say as a professional, what I'm seeing versus, you know, what you're seeing as a parent, rather than arguing over that is accept that, you know, potentially both perceptions may be right. Mm-hmm. The question is, you know, why is each person seeing what they're seeing in the particular context and, and honoring um, the views of each other in that mm-hmm. rather than negating mm-hmm. um, and saying, well, one person's right and another person's um, wrong. Um, someone, you know, the other day um, had this nice little post about, you know, truth and trust. Uh, and we got into a bit of a conversation about that. But, you know, I think we both agreed that truth arises when you have trust and that, you know, really what we do is we kind of create the truth together. And truth is actually oftentimes evolving over time as people change and we all change and situations change. So I, for me, that, you know, kind of captures the types of conversations that, you know, that we want to have um, between parents and professionals, but also um, how parents want to actually assert um, their point of view, mm-hmm. which doesn't have to be combative, even mm-hmm. though they may be frustrated. Yeah. I think, you know, they need to, you know, simply say, this is my experience. This is, you know, what I'm seeing. These are what my thoughts are. Mm-hmm. This is what the impact is on me. And if they can be met with a similar kind of openness on the other side, Mm -hmm. then I think you can search for solutions. Mm -hmm. Because the other thing is we know is wherever we are, the child will always be going back home. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, the family is the, you know, there for forever in whatever Mm -hmm. form. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we need to, you know, recognize and honor the fact that this is um, foundational in children uh, and young persons' lives and that. So really, you know, professionals need to be seeing themselves as sort of supporting that in whatever sort of way, whether it's in the school or, you know, providing specialized services, things like that. Yeah, and, you know... um like, I love what you said, a person's perception is their reality. I mean, that even works in the, the one-on-one therapy space because mm-hmm. uh, sometimes, because I work with kids and youth, sometimes uh, the child will say a certain something and the parent will try and argue that point. 
And so I, I will often try and pause that because I really want to honor that that's where, you know, that's what the child's feeling. That's where they're at. There's, like you said, that openness then helps to create a solution. So let's allow the child to speak to that because that same frustration we talked about uh, earlier, it happens with, with children in the family dynamic. But um, just coming back to um, the, you know, what was I going to say? not negating and uh, it doesn't have to be combative and to stay away from the right and wrong because we're really, and I guess what I was going to say was as a professional um, communicating in this way with, with parents or caregivers, they are also modeling a certain communication style Mm -hmm. essentially that can help the family move forward when they are at home with their child, because they'll get that sense of, whoa, I just moved through that really difficult situation and I actually feel okay and I feel like I have some resources or some strategies rather than Mm -hmm. that, well, that was no good and that made it worse and, you know, that spiral that parents often go down. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's a the ripple effect goes in the other direction too, which is that if if you can create that openness and that that cohesive conversation where people are feeling heard, then that models for the parents and ultimately the child as well, uh, something that can work and feel good. Exactly. And I think it creates that sort of relational connection that allows for there to be ups and downs uh you know if we're talking about situations that are um you know more challenging um you know i think of you know situations where kids are being bullied at school um or whether you've got a you know child that has you know complex needs and and needs you know um many many hands to help you know with the situation you know that you know progress and change will not just be magical um, Mm -hmm. and one-time fixes. Mm -hmm. There'll be kind of fits and starts in that. So if there's that kind of, you know, partnership as the foundation between parents and those that, you know, have some other professional role, you know, hopefully it allows for that type of uh, openness um, and ability to um, engage when there are those sort of, you know, dips uh, and, you know, sort of sliding back in that. I take as one, you know, one example, I remember when I was, you know, working with the School as Hub model in Rexdale, um, we involved the CAS, but we involved them in a different way because naturally the community was um, simply labeled them as the, you know, the baby snatchers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they wanted nothing to do with them. But what we did is we um, brought in uh, one of their really good parent educators and she just came in and did um, parent education. Um, and she just, you know, had a really great way of relating and, you know, just good personality plus, you know, good information. And what happened was, because of the relationship, when parents then had difficulties that might fall under sort of, you know, what we call child in need of protection, mm-hmm. um, they would, they were able to approach that worker and say, you know, what do I do here? Mm-hmm. So rather than, you know, recreating that, you know, usual sort of thing of, you know, um, sort of crisis and child in need of protection, parents who were, because of the relationship, able to come forward and be vulnerable and say, mm-hmm. look, I've got this challenge here. 
So part of it is, you know, it's around vulnerability. And I think there's vulnerability on, on both sides. I think as parents, um, and I, you know, I know that myself, there's times when I haven't known exactly what needs to be done. Um, and you don't want to, um, you know, you, you don't want to be seen as not knowing, mm-hmm. but you're stuck. And I think the same thing happens for par- uh, for professionals. Mm-hmm. There are times when they don't know what to do, mm-hmm. uh, and they're vulnerable, and that's where both you know the expertise model can get in the way. I just because- thought that. Yeah, no, I just yeah. thought that exactly. That's where the expertise model can get in the way because when a professional doesn't know what to do, it yeah, it just kind of stonewalls everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's where, you know, um, you know, daring to be vulnerable and having that courage, as Brene Brown talks about, mm-hmm. becomes really important and applies not just at a personal level, but at a professional level. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if we can be vulnerable, um, then I think that what it does is it shows our humanity and kind of speaks to the reality of a lot of problems which is there aren't simple answers um, and they need to be created in in a number of contexts not yeah yeah no that's a that's a great example and um i just i've been a part of whether it was a volunteer role or in my professional role i've been a part of that cohesiveness and that relationship piece that uh, it it feels good all around, whether it's the professional or the personal, like it just feels really good. And I just, you know, I know a lot of people haven't had the opportunity yeah. to experience that. And yeah. I just, I do wish that it was more the default, you know. Um, but I was thinking I had a huge smile on my face because I thought of a, something just popped in my head to an example where um, just coming back to the whole village concept. And, you know, we're talking about professionals, but I do think that what we're talking yeah. about can also be that volunteer parent on yeah. them, you know, or it can be yeah. the employer. My kids work. Yeah. Um yeah. My son is really struggling with allergies right now. Um, And so the other day he woke up and he was not happy. And, you know, he's just trudging through his day. The new school year has started and uh, he came home and he forgot that he had to work. And so that just exasperated Mm. things. Like I was like, boy, like he's really struggled today from the second that he woke up. And um, so of course, you know, he matters to his responsibility and I took him to work and um, I know the, uh, so the, the kids will relieve the adults during the day at the, his part-time job. And so I knew the adults and there's a, there's a little banter that goes on there, you know, with the adults and the teenagers. And there was this moment where I was like, Oh, I'm just going to use as a parent, I'm going to, you know, yeah. I'm going to capture that village in this moment. Cause yeah. I said, I dropped him off and I said, Oh, he's a little bit crabby today. And they're like, yeah. Oh, we're so glad you told us that we'll make the most yeah. of it. And I was like, I drove yeah. away and I was like, yeah, I know you will. And I love that. Cause when I left, yeah. he had a big smile. It just makes yeah. me laugh. He had a big smile on his face mm-hmm. and I think he needed that embracing yeah. Because it was a really difficult day. And, you know, if they can make a little joke or just kind of like, you know, pat them on the shoulder or something, like it really just makes a big difference. And um, that's what we're going for. And that's what's yeah. the model, you know, that, that healthy modeling for kids is really just that puts that extra step in their in their uh, or that spark in their day that, um, you know, it can it can be heavy at times. Exactly. Well, and I think that you highlighted there, which also I think is is also critically important, is 
the role of those just sort of natural networks that that we all have around ourselves mm -hmm. now you know I, and i'm very aware that some parents don't mm -hmm. um and they may need to what would be helpful is for them to expand their networks so that they've got those other people that they can call on um when things are tough um, if they, you know, if there's certainly if they're a single parent, um, you know, sort of being able to enlist the support of, of others and networks, because those are the things that can get you through um, those really difficult times in that. Uh, and it's kind of interesting watching on sort of Facebook and, and watching sort of this, this group of, of new parents and how they are, you know, just sort of reaching out to each other. Um, but I think that, you know, that, you know, allows for um, the burden of doing it alone mm -hmm. to be shifted in that. Yeah. So that sometimes can take some work, um, but the benefits are, um incredible in that and it means being vulnerable again mm -hmm. um, i had to do it at a certain point i was a single parent for five years mm -hmm. um and i needed to um you know figure out how to deal with different situations but using you know not only my family but also people around uh made a world of difference um, it didn't automatically happen, um, but by being, you know, sort of honest uh, and open, it allowed, you know, me to share and also then get back from others. Well, and in this is instance at the gas station, there was that brief moment where I thought, oh, he might be kind of mad at me for yeah. telling them. And I yeah. thought, you know what? I felt like the benefits outweighed him being mad at me. And now as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking I picked him up like several hours later and he never even said anything to me. He was yeah. in a very, uh, he was in a very humorous mood and I hadn't gone back and revisited that, uh, the outcome of that until just now. But yeah, there, I think there was, so I was kind of weighing that, oh, you know, if he's upset with me, I think yeah. that this embracement is actually, embracement, is that a word? <laughs> this yeah. embracing is actually going to be better for him. Um, and uh, so something else you just said too, I want to come back to is that, you know, and like you said, being very aware that some, some parents don't have that, um, those connections or that, that village and yeah. recommending that they uh, reach out to others and that they sort of establish that. And I think that it would be really important to state right now that you want to do that on an ongoing basis. You don't want to just wait until the issues start to arise. Yeah. Challenges present themselves. Right. Yeah. You want to, yeah. So you want to really just be aware that that's a thing and just notice and position yourself in your community and where, you know, who are the people that you resonate or gravitate towards and who you can begin to start bringing into your inner circle. And that you talked about trust earlier too. So of course mm -hmm. that plays a role. Um, mm -hmm. But being keen on recognizing that in the long run, that's going to be beneficial for you and your family and to not wait until things hit a crisis point. That's, I see that a lot, you know, oftentimes, mm -hmm especially when I worked in hospital, it was like parents were dealing with a suicide attempt and they mm -hmm. literally were putting their hands up going, where did this come from? How did this happen? What do we do? And it really just, it was a, it became a standstill for them. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's, you know, to know ahead of time that if you can put these things in place, the same as the self-care 
aspect mm-hmm. of, you know, taking care of self, it really benefits when, when we, as we know, there are bumps in the road in life and mm-hmm. uh, to know that those things are, uh, you know, that foundation is built that we can rely on when things become unsteady in our lives. Right. Because as we know, I mean, there's the rare person that can, that can parent alone solely alone so um that makes it incredibly lonely um for one um but also um it you know it it, it you know can rob you of of support um which is just helpful along the way because there's always stuff to be checked out um like what's going on here to when things become really problematic um so that is important it's kind of like money in the bank and that you know if you invest in relationships um and find people that you know you share things in common and a lot of times you know i think that's easy to do as a parent Mm -hmm. because there's so much in common around you know just illnesses and dealing with school and you know peer relationships and that so beginning those conversations um, can, you know, uh, help you down the road when things might become challenging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a great conversation, Rick. This has been really um, enlightening. And I think the whole series has been so informative for so many people. And just as we get ready to wrap up, is there some other points or some other things that you wanted to chat about today? Um. The probably the just the last thing to sort of wrap up mm-hmm. around that I could think about is once again um, how how critical um, the parent's voice is mm-hmm. in their child's life and that um, that you know the parents need to be an essential part of that sort of circle and village um, because they can speak from their own knowing mm-hmm. um, they have their own wisdom and insights and and that can positively influence um, the outcomes for their children outside of the home mm-hmm. um, so that you know as we know parenting um, well it's about you know sort of what's happening in the moment a lot of times it's also about what happens out of sight mm-hmm. um, in other places but also um, down the road when we think of kids developing in that so parents are essential are an essential um, piece of the circle um, they need to see themselves that way um, and sometimes they have to be assertive around that. Mm-hmm. But as professionals, I think we need to um, actively acknowledge that and ensure um, that there are no barriers that get in the way of them being able to express their voice on that. Mm-hmm. Maybe can you, um, parents need to see themselves that way. Are you talking about maybe that sort of passive individual or that uh, person that maybe doesn't feel like they have the skills or that they don't have a voice at the table. Are you talking about the empowering of parents to be able to see yeah. themselves as that critical and important voice in their child's life? Uh, without a doubt. I think yeah. it's, you know, how, how we see ourselves. You know, when you think about parenting, while, um, you know, so substantial, you know, it doesn't sort of stack up sometimes when compared to professional roles okay it's, you know i've often heard parents say well what do i know and then i'll sit sit down with them and say well what do you know um and they know so much more about 
their their child and what makes them tick in that. Mm -hmm. So to start from a strength-based position, mm -hmm. um, they know so much more than any of us who are outside of their families. Mm -hmm. um, I know so much more about my own kids than other people. I know what makes them tick. Mm -hmm. I know what, you know, kind of turns them off and what will trigger them. Um, and if I can share that with others, then they'll be able to engage with my child and they don't have to start from square one. I mean, right. They have to establish a relationship, mm -hmm. um, but this kind of enhances the relationship because they know, you know, who is this individual in front of them. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's addressing, you know, parents who tend to undersell their, their role and what they have to offer. Mm -hmm. um, they're experts in their own right. Mm -hmm. um, they have, you know, experiences that, that we simply don't have if we're working on the outside. Well, and then not to get too far off topic, but we know from attachment theory that when parents can step into that, I don't know if you want to call it like alpha position or whatever, that leadership, that, um, you know, that natural hierarchy within the family dynamic, that it, it creates this sense of security for the child that is just reinforcing that relationship and connection and actually furthers along and helps with the, the emotional, uh, social development, you know, ultimately even physical development of the child. So there's, it goes even deeper than what we're even mm -hmm. talking about today. Right. And well, and that's where I think that this actually kind of merges together when we're talking about relationships and parenting, really, we're talking about fundamental attachment. Mm -hmm. um, and then the question is, is how to sort of kind of, you know, take that as a recipe um, for the best type of partnerships with those people outside of the home. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. And then hopefully all the young people will grow up to reach their optimum potential. That's always my goal. And our goal is to get them to where they are meant to be, not where they, they are told they have to be or where they need to be, but where they're, where they're meant to be, I think is always the premise that I come from. And we're just trying to foster and, um, you know, uh, sow the garden, so to speak, to create the conditions for that to, uh, to happen. Exactly. And that, and that sort of, you know, looking at sort of potential um, and looking at, you know, everybody's um, contribution in terms of the adults and parents as, as investments for down the road. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Rick, this uh, podcast series has been a tremendous informative and educational opportunity for so many people. I know myself, even just having your expertise and your knowledge has been really enlightening. And uh, I've taken a couple gold nuggets that I will use in my practice. And um, so I really want to thank you for your time and for all of the information that you've shared. And I hope that you'll come back for season two and we can, we can do another series. Without a doubt. And I just want to say I've thoroughly enjoyed this. Um, been the first time I've done podcasts and I mm -hmm. think actually uh, they've really uh, begun to flow now that we've had the opportunity to do this four times mm -hmm. so I've just you know enjoyed the experience of Good. having these type of conversations because okay. I think um, when it comes down to it it is about conversations um, it's about sharing our experiences yeah, and I just, I, that's, I just love it so much. And I know that, uh, you know, just even this back and forth, it just, it, 
it enlifts us as professionals. And I also know that we love to share our expertise or not even expertise, because I really don't like that word, but our knowledge to others. And uh, so I am super excited about all of those listeners and the people who have already listened to the series and will continue to listen to the series and the podcast. And uh, I just want to say there's so much more to come. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, so hopefully we'll see you in um, season two. Mm-hmm. Thanks very much, Rick. Okay, you take care of yourself yeah. and we'll be talking or emailing each other. Okay, sounds good. Bye for now. Okay, take care. today. Please remember that information provided in this podcast is not therapy and is not a substitute for receiving help from a licensed or regulated healthcare professional. For more information on this episode and links discussed here today, please see the show notes. Please also visit my website, which includes more resources and social media links, as well as ways of getting in touch with me at julieclarktherapy.com.